As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. The Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where where we've never claimed to be quite as good as we think we are. Big Jed, normally we start this with a bit of a preamble of, hey, how are you doing? We got a lot to get to. I say we jump right in. This is going to be a hell of an episode. It's OG Million Week, Jed. And traditionally, traditionally, this is the event that provides us with no shortage of content, no shortage of drama. This year, this year, Christmas came a week early. <laughs> yeah, Luke, uh, obviously... Uh, we are referring or you are referring to the Summer Fling in Columbus and uh, a very exciting event, the All-Star Shootout, very exciting. The whole front to back of that event was just seemed like it went really, really well. But there was a winner's circle interview or two that really made the headlines this week. And that's what we're going to talk about. I'm, I am pumped. I'm excited about this. Scotty's back. Shots were fired. Before we get to the, the interviews and trying to dissect what was said, let's focus on the race itself because the, the Fuel Factory 48 car, $100,000 shootout, it lived up to the hype. And obviously the winner, the man holding the trophy at the end, is one Scotty Richardson. We, we teased this a little bit last week. We recorded last week's episode prior to this race happening. And in that, we considered this possibility of Scotty Richardson basically coming out of hiatus, if not retirement, to hoist that trophy. And we didn't, I don't think I went so far to say as it would be surprising because Scotty Richardson winning any event anywhere, not really surprising. Like he's arguably the best to ever do this. But I think I said, if he wins, it's just not fair. Just to set the table, Scotty's hardly raced all season. He had I thought he had never driven the car that he'd won in. Turns out in the, in the Winter Circle interview, he, he mentioned that he did drive it once when, when Edmund and the boys first got it years ago. 
he seems like he's uncomfortable in the car. He, he, he kind of honed in on the fact that he's out of quote unquote racing shape. And yet all of that put aside, he puts forth a dominant performance against the best racers in the world. Um, just on that end, like before we dive into the rest, we can go through this event round by round and his performance. How impressive was what Scotty did for six rounds against the best of the best on the biggest stage? Well, Luke, it would have been, even though it's Scotty and you're never really surprised by his wind light coming on, it would have been very impressive had he been racing every week just because the field was so talented. It was, you know, I watched that shootout. It was all-star after all-star, and I understand that's the, the title of the event, but it was just colossal matchup after another. And for anybody to come out on top of that be impressive. For Scotty to come out on top of it, it's impressive, even if he went every week. But for him to do it in the style that he did it with basically racing way back in the way down the line of things that that he is doing on a weekly basis these days, very, very impressive. And uh, I know we'll talk about all of that, how it, you know, how it wrapped up. Uh, but I, I think all of that really come to a head when he reached the winner's circle. I think, you know, Scotty's probably not impressed by himself very often, but I think he even impressed himself. And that's, uh, that's hard to do. Fair point. Fair point. So let's, let's go through it round by round. He kicks off the event, taking on Dylan Biondo, Scotty five, take eight. Right. And I don't know, did you happen to, I don't know how, how locked into this you were. Did you happen to see the call outs? Like, was this a call out round or do you know how that shook down? Well, I know there were some call outs. I did not see them take place, but I, I, I tried to keep note of at the end of a run or maybe during the, the burnout, Einhart would say, this is a this is a call out pair. Right? So I don't remember specifically about this one, but I know there were quite a few in round one. OK, fair enough. We'll, we'll just set that aside. Scotty. Five take eight advances to round two. Round two, probably one of the the maybe two rounds on the in the event where Scotty was vulnerable. Like I'd even go so far as to say you could argue he, he should have lost the round. He's 008. Tracy Suns is 002. And Scotty drops to four above. Now Tracy Suns goes 5,000 under. And in most cases, you don't drop to four above in a race like this and expect to get away with it. In Scotty's defense, like I think there's some opponent awareness here. Like Tracy Suns is trying to lay down nothing and not really trying to do a whole lot at the finish line. So I think there's an element to like, when you realize that you don't want to get there first, just don't get there first, right? Like, I don't think Tracy's necessarily trying to race against Scotty. And I know that Scotty knows that just given their history. So if you're going to get, if you're going to drop, drop. But at the same time, like if you get him in a, in a honest moment, I, I think dropping to four of us, probably a mistake, but he gets away with it, right? Sure. Yeah. Obviously that's not, uh, not his strategy when he, turned on both the stage bulbs. That's never the strategy. Going four above is a wonderful thing, obviously, when you're taking a little bit. But when you need to get behind, going four above is is never the intent. But obviously, at some point at the towards the finish line, Scotty realized one above and four above is going to accomplish the same thing. So this is what I'm doing. That's, that's where I was going with that. That sets him up for round three, 12 cars remaining. Marquee matchup with Mark Kidd. Again, Scotty, double O take double O, seven take six. This gets him to the round of six where he takes on Gage Birch. And to this point, Scotty's been double O every time. He's taken double O two out of three, putting on a clinic at both ends. 
at this point, it, it gets a little bit sloppier the rest of the way. He's he's 20 every round the rest of the way. He's 21. Take fourth out to defeat Gage Birch at, at, in round four, six cars remaining. Obviously, that, that's a round of, of contention that we'll follow up on as we as we get to discussing the aftermath of this. E5, semifinals, he's paired with Johnny Ezell. This is where like the the Scotty comes out or, or the strategy gets illuminated because this is the first time that Scotty's been getting chased. He's running Johnny Brackett Racer, fast dragster. Scotty promptly dials down 300s. Hey, boys, been holding three all day. Let's get a little closer to honest. He's pretty quick, right? And again, he's 20, gets away with it, dead on three. At 113, 602, 113, like if that's not wide open, it's got to be really close to wide open. Johnny's 10, six thou under. That sets up Scotty in the final opposite Scott Taylor, where Scotty dials down another hundredth. He just went 6023, dials 601. So maybe he did kill something against Johnny Ezo. I can't imagine he would leave 13 thousandths of a second on the table. So I think it's fair to say he probably killed something in that semi. Um, in the final round, opposite Scott Taylor, who's driving a fast buggy. Taylor dialed in the 490s with uh, with his roadster. Scotty's 23, 6028 on the 601. He gets there 5,000. Again, 113 mile an hour. So if he's down anything, it's not much. Gets a lot of credit for taking 5,000. Upon further examination, Scott Taylor down like 14 mile an hour. So I don't know that Scotty took 5,000 as much as Scott Taylor messed it up 5,000. But regardless, Scotty gets there first. Wind light comes on. Um, I'll just, just a quick aside on Scott Taylor. Let's give that dude some credit. A, like, Nothing against Scott Taylor. He's won the OG 50. He's a he's an accomplished racer. You look through that field of 48. I don't think there's a ton of people that are picking Scott Taylor to win. And that dude put on a show, not only the way that he executed, but I'll just give a tip of the cap strategically. My man was holding a bunch in a buggy all day long. He went 486 on his buy run at three cars and comes back to run the greatest to ever do it in the final and promptly dials 490. Now it didn't work, but I just like that takes some stones, man. That's I, I like it. Yeah, it's definitely Kahuna's. Uh, uh, you know, I I would I guess at some point like to hear the the reasoning behind that strategy. Uh, yeah, what me, exactly was exactly was going through Scott's head, and obviously I'm not questioning his ability to pull it off. Got fourth out behind. Uh, who among us hasn't done that? Raise your hand. No hands are raised. So, you know, it, it's understandable how that happens, but that's a, that's a fair amount to hold on uh, most anybody when you've got that kind of speed gap, but to do it against Scotty is definitely a bold strategy and it almost paid off. And you talked about taking and giving him back and those things. Oh no, I lost Jed at a critical moment. I lost Jed. Um, he's back. This is the beauty okay. of live podcasting. Stuff happened. So uh, if you look at the steel shot, at the finish line, the front end is down significantly on the Roadster. And the Camaro, Scotty, she's hiked up there pretty good. Uh, foot in the radiator looked like, you know, at least to the to the untrained eye like mine. So um, definitely think that Taylor did not ever get around and accomplish what he was trying to accomplish. Just a slight miss down there. Take nothing away from Scotty. He did what he had to do and he won the race and deserved to win and you know it was it was very fitting really at the end when you tie the name of scotty richardson to that check uh it, it it seemed like it landed with its rightful owner <laughs> that is a fair assessment i would agree and honestly like the takeaway from all this we just went through it round by round but if i zoom out a little bit this is vintage scotty like 
the the strategic diversity, the solid up front, lights out at the finish line for the most part. Um, and how I just I think if you this has kind of been the playbook for the better part of his career. Like he picks his spots. He's very thoughtful. He's very strategic. He's nasty early. And in a race like this, like sim- we've talked about the million dollar race for years, like the, in this manner, like you've got to dodge those bullets early. And then at some point, everyone, regardless of the the quality of the field, at some point, everyone begins to realize what they're racing for. And, and things tend to, for lack of a better term, loosen up slightly, right? And that's how Scotty played this, whether it's completely intentionally or not, he is absolutely lights out for the first three rounds. And then just kind of sits back and lets everybody screw up. And that's, I mean, as simple as that sounds, that's kind of been the playbook throughout. What he did here, like to basically not sit in a race car more or less for the better part of a year and come in against the best of the best. And to be quite frank, like make it not just win, but make it look pretty easy. I just, when you think of people that could pull that off, like there's one other name that comes to mind for me and it's Peter Biondo, which is fitting because in most people's minds, those two are one A and one B. To be fair to Scotty, I think I could see Peter doing something similar to this, but he didn't. Scotty did, right? So let's let's just put that in its rightful place. Super impressive stuff. Do you have any more to say on the actual performance before we dive into the aftermath? Uh, no, Luke, I think the, the, the breakdown was spot on. You know, uh, Scotty was not as good as either of us have seen him uh, in the past, but pressure in the moment, um, you know, anytime you're in something that significant, and especially without a whole lot of seat time, even if you're Scotty Richardson, I can imagine the button got squeezed a little hard at times. I can imagine there was a little extra pressure on that. So I thought uh, I thought Scotty performed exceptionally well, uh, especially considering the conditions and um, how ironic is it that you know one A or one B provided the platform for one A or one B to accomplish such, something so special? Uh, pretty cool. All right. So with that in mind, this unbelievable and dramatic moment is followed by a series of unbelievable and dramatic moments immediately after in the post race interview conducted by Alan Reinhardt. We've gotten the blessing from the Fling staff. Mark, we're actually, we're going to share the, the Winter Circle interview in its entirety here on the podcast so that we can more accurately dissect. Let me drive this. And uh, <clears throat> obviously, I got to thank my wife and kids for letting me come. And uh, obviously, I got to thank my boss for letting me come. Now, I understand you're driving tonight to be back at work in the morning. You came for today, today only, and you're headed out? That's it. Yeah, that's, I got to get to work. But, uh. I don't even know what to say. I'm speech. Thanks for Hoosier, uh, whatever, whoever sponsors Edmund, uh, RBZ, TCI, Jags, and they don't sponsor me anymore. Strange. Uh, honestly, this race was pretty cool. Um, I, I wanted to run it with Edmund because everything that I, everything I accomplished is because of him. Uh, you know, we, uh, you know, we got the love hate relationship and, uh, up right now obviously but uh just let me drive actually he's been letting me live there because the work's close to him and i'm saving money but i don't mind get my own hotel but uh but honestly everybody that's been involved the whole time i started racing in august 20th of 1983 
I, I, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I, this was a great race. Hopefully, uh, they. I, I was gonna say it's over, but hopefully they'll at least let me run this and try to defend it. Well, I think they'll find you an, an invitation to come back next year. I don't think there's any question about that. You've never sat in this car before today, is that right? No, I sat in it when it was shown from the very beginning. He sent me out to test it. But he told me the boys said it was good now. But I really got to thank Pete and all the Optima, all the guys that sponsor him, Law. Let's make sure I get them. Jags, this uh, fuel factory, I think is what it is. Fuel factory is the one that put the race on today. Spring, uh, honestly, no matter what, me and him are very competitive. Most of the time I don't like Pete and he don't like me. But honestly, he puts the best, most professional race there is out there. Uh, him and it's probably because of Emily. But um, but honestly, you know, we're competitive. But honestly, they do a great job. I, uh, uh, I'm, I'm really speechless because I come here and I wanted to run this race just because these old guys, I, you're going to really take this probably wrong. These young guys ain't as good as what they think. And, and us old guys still got a little gas. Look at me. I'm 280, uh, sweating my butt. Yeah, that's all I weigh. Uh, I don't want to weigh right now, though. You guys run, run. There we go. Here we go. But honestly, Alan, we've been together for a long time. And uh, just like this, they brought the best announcers out no matter what. The only way it would have been a little bit better if they would have brought. There is no other one. It's just me. No, there's another one. Uh, you talking about Nathan? No. Bye. Bye. Uh, Bob Fry? Yeah, Bob Fry. To me, he's just, uh, he was it, too. So, uh, Leo was great. You know, we're all getting old. So, uh, really, I don't know what else to say other than thank you for everybody that's been a part of it. For being here, and congratulations. I remember watching you race in the NHRA when you were untouchable. And coming back here tonight, it's like it's like the old days. Hey, look, here's Scotty at Winlight. Here's Scotty at Winlight. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing what you did today in a car that you're uncomfortable in. Well, that's the only reason I come back. These young guys, I, they're going to take it wrong, but they still got a little drop in them nuts. He was a young guy, no question about it. Scotty, thank you very much. Congratulations. Unbelievable performance, and also unbelievable that he will not be here the rest of the weekend. Got to go home and go back to work. It's been a fun day. Thanks for everybody who shared the mic, including Riggins, including. Yeah. There you have it. I wanted to play that in its entirety because I think everyone's seen the clips at this point. I don't know that everyone's seen it in it, seen it in its entirety, just to get the full grasp of that. So just quick cliff notes, and we can take this in whatever direction you would like. He said, this is going to be taken the wrong way, but these young guys aren't as good as they think they are. How else were we supposed to take that? He said that he and Edmund have had a love-hate relationship. But it's all love right now. He said that most of the time, he doesn't like Peter and Peter doesn't like him. They're competitive. He thanked him for putting on the event. And I think we would agree rightfully said he puts on the best races out there. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack here, Jed. Where do we start? He also said it's probably because of Emily. Uh, <laughs> you know, while giving Peter credit, he just had to reach in there and snatch it away as well. But uh, I don't know, Luke, the, the, whole, the whole interview was odd start to finish obviously we don't see scotty very emotional when he turns on big wind lights it's it's what scotty does um only having raced a time or two during the year maybe that got him there uh i think he's at a point in his life somewhat admittedly in the in the interview where 
Uh, he is heavily dependent on his older brother and driving his car on his team to something so significant probably stirred up the emotions even for a for a hardened racer like Scotty. So I thought it was cool. The raw emotion I thought was really cool. Um, when you start dissecting the darts that were thrown, um, you know, it just feels like there's backstory. It feels like somebody said something or did something that pissed him off and he had to get it off his chest. And it <laughs> felt somewhat, Luke, like Scotty maybe doesn't think there were going to be very many more opportunities, if any, to have that stage with that kind of uh, audience. And he needed to get some things off his chest. I don't know how you take it other than the wrong way. Um, and I, I certainly am not sure that anybody thought that he and Peter were best friends. Uh, I don't think that was a surprising uh, revelation. I don't, I don't think anybody went, what? They don't, they're not great friends. So not real sure why he felt like he needed to do those things, but it was his moment. It was his winner circle and it was his time to get whatever said he wanted to say. And he did it. Um, it was definitely, you know, it was somewhat refreshing. It was definitely a different interview than, you know, he, he, he started down the road of thanking the sponsors and, you know, he didn't even, didn't even know who they were. Uh, and, and again, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't, I think any of us are guilty of that at times, but. It definitely it felt was, like a stream of consciousness. You know what I mean? Just like nothing, obviously yeah. nothing rehearsed. Like this is just what's coming to mind in the moment. And I agree that, that that's refreshing. I'll back you up just a little bit on Edmund specifically. Like he starts this off with pretty raw emotion. Like that it, feels like it's coming through. I don't know that I agree with this. Like, I don't, I, I think that we're kidding ourselves if we, if we just assume that this is at or near the twilight of Scotty's career, like if he wants to go racing again, he will, and he will be extremely successful. Like there are, there are plenty of years left, but it seemed like in the moment that just like you said, like there's a, a reality coming over him. Like, I don't know how many more times I'm going to have this spotlight, right? And, and and just kind of a reflection back on on all that he's done, right? And specific to his relationship with his brother, like obviously that's that's a complicated relationship. It has been since I've known those two. And I won't completely pretend to completely understand all that they've been through together, maybe all that they've put each other through independently. But I will say this, and I almost said this last week, Jed, and I wish I would have because I would have felt like Nostradamus. Those two are specifically Scotty, but I would I would go so far as to say those two, as complicated as their relationship has been at times, they are at their best on the racetrack when they are together. And that, I think, was illustrated yet again on Wednesday night in Columbus. Very good point, Luke. Uh, you know, those are two fantastic talents in the race car. They are great at preparing race cars. Big E and his boys still uh, have that in their arsenal for their own cars and others. So they always bring great equipment. They always bring great talent. And those two are driven to win. And when they combine forces, they're hard to handle. They they did also collect the, the team bonus with that last win light. So the Fuel Factory $7,500 bonus went to them for the last win light that was, it was down to that for the team championship too. So again, felt like the, the accolades fell to the rightful owners. Um, Big E certainly as talented as, as he would need to be to accomplish that himself. But 
I think, you know, knowing Big E like I do, I think he was just as happy. Uh, he's he's not a guy that needs the attention, and he probably wouldn't have wanted the interview. So um, when it's all said and done, it landed right where it was supposed to land, and the the best brother combination in sportsman bracket racing history, likely, and no offense to, to Sal and Peter because we know how great they are, but those guys have accomplished a lot in sportsman bracket racing. So uh, it, it, it seemed very fitting. And, and, you know, again, the, the raw emotion, something when those guys had their moment, their embrace with their back to the camera at the winter circle, I'd love to know what was said right there, just because, you know, I think it was a brotherly, it's all love right now. So uh, I know those guys don't pass out compliments to one another very easily. So I, I bet it was a pretty cool moment for both of them. I thought it was so fitting how when they when Reinhardt asked him if he'd ever driven the car before and Edmund was right <laughs> over his shoulder in the camera and he just, yeah, I drove it once when I first got it. It was junk. And the look on Edmund's face, <laughs> what are you calling my car junk? <laughs> just, yeah, he, he, thought, even, he even got Edmund a little. <laughs> <laughs> on uh, on the, the discussion, or Scotty's words about, Peter Biondo, like this is one where, like you said, like, I don't, I don't think this is any shock to anybody. I love that he addressed it. Like I, I just the transparency of it all. Like there is a mutual respect there. I, I, I think I have to believe, right. But they've never, they're not close. Like they never have been. They probably never really will be like, and I think that's almost like, as it should be, they are competitive. Scotty said that because they're, they were rivals. They are to some extent, rivals. I think they'll be always be linked in that way. It's similar, like I'm an NBA fan. I think it's similar to Jordan and LeBron, except MJ and LeBron, they never shared the court. Like the year that Michael Jordan retired, the next season was LeBron's rookie year. They never actually played, right? They 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 could operate completely independently. Scotty and Peter, similarly, like they have separated themselves, I think, in the minds of most. They are the two best to ever play this game. And their prime absolutely 100% overlapped, right? They are the best two racers that our sport has ever seen. They've been seen as 1A and 1B for three decades. And they've always competed for the same space. Sometimes head-to-head, right? Occasionally in NHRA, they were typically pursuing different titles in different categories in their primes. But seemingly every year for two decades at Moroso, at the Millions, like, very much head to head, very much competing in the same space. Like, to be clear, I don't think that they hate each other, but it just feels unnatural that they would be buddies, right? It just doesn't seem like that would jive. And and I don't think they are. I don't think they ever have been. And I think it's fine that Scotty's willing to say as much. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I, I definitely think Peter handles that moment a different way. But that's what makes them who they are. Scotty's a Scotty's a kick your ass, you know, on the on the track and in the lanes kind of guy, you know. And Peter's a Peter's a guy that's not gonna not gonna take it down that path, you know. He's just gonna let his actions do his talking, and he's certainly gonna stand up for for himself when put in a difficult situation. But he's not a guy that goes on the attack very often, so. Um, they they have competed for space that that normal people like me can't even understand, can't even fathom how you how you get there. So you would think that it's an egotistical thing, the reason they don't get along. But I think uh, both of them 
just have such a different path to where they've gotten, where the, the point they've reached in the sport. And each maybe doesn't agree with the other's direction that they've taken. And that's probably what's caused some of the tension. Um, you know, again, it's not very visible just to the, to the public, to us, but it's there. It has been there for decades. And, you know, I, again, much as I love Peter and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Peter's and certainly uh, respect Scotty and, and a fan of what he's accomplished as well. I thought it was refreshing. I really did. I, I, I enjoyed the whole, the whole, I guess, get it off your chest kind of vibe. It, it seemed like he had, and it was his moment. It was a huge moment and he freaking laid it out there. So good stuff. Uh, so let's, let's get into the, the, the crux of this, what everyone was talking about for the days following the the absolute shot fired call out i love how he prefaced it y'all are going to take this the wrong way but (laughs) (laughs) these young guys ain't as good as they think how else were we supposed to take that jed i you touched on it earlier like the the nature of this this five minutes is is interesting and that's why i wanted to play it in its entirety because he does he starts with gratitude i think at one point he almost tears up and then he completely flips the script, right? It, it's as if Scotty kind of catches himself celebrating for a moment and, and immediately pulls himself back into the mindset that I think probably helps facilitate his success largely, right? Initially. And I didn't I didn't watch the race unfold in real time, right? I watched a little bit of it after the math, but initially, like I just assumed that this was not directed at anyone specific, right? This, this, this young guns kind of rant. I just assumed that it was manufactured adversity for for lack of a better term because i just know like scotty is a master at that right it, it's another i mentioned like the the jordan lebron debate with him and peter earlier but this is another mj parallel like if you watch the last dance but scotty's mindset in my experience is is jordan-esque in that he is an intense competitor right and if you watched like the last dance jordan had a lot of doubt early in his career and he always channeled that, like it was a chip on his shoulder. Well, Scotty Richardson, similar to Michael Jordan, like Jordan gets two years into the NBA, Scotty's two world championships deep. Like at some point, no one doubts you anymore. No one, anywhere. Like we all realize you're amazing. And yet Michael Jordan, just like Scotty Richardson, like that, that doesn't work. Like there has to be adversity. Like there has to be something to, to drive you. There's got to be someone to prove wrong. And if there's no one there, like nothing to provide that incentive, Michael Jordan would create one. And in my experience, Scotty's largely the same way. Like he's always kind of leaned into the fight. And if the fight didn't come to him, he'd go find a fight, right? It's the way that he he motivates himself. And obviously it works. So my initial thought was, I don't know that these comments refer to anyone or anything specific outside of anything but Scotty's mind. Like that perception of slight provided a chip on the shoulder. And it's something that he operates incredibly well right um turns out like at least in the aftermath it seems like this was more directed at someone i didn't think that in the moment yeah you know obviously i didn't either i watched it live and i i I wasn't sure who that was directed at if directed at anyone but you know in my mind at the time it was just scotty's tired of seeing these young guns win all of this stuff and they are as good as they think they are and they win a ton and they, they hold their own against anybody. Scotty's not just a normal guy. So calling out an entire generation of racers and, and saying they don't have it because 
arguably the best to ever do it is winning races still. Um, you know, just in the whole group form, the young racers are every bit as talented as they think they are, but this is Scotty Richardson. So I, I, again, I thought it was aimed at the group, the generation of racers at the time, but it did start to feel like later on, as we'll discuss that maybe that was pointed more towards a specific racer. Yeah. In, in the aftermath of this, it seems at least like if you connect the dots, it seems as though this was mainly, if not completely directed at, at Gage Birch, who was his quarterfinal opponent in this race. And I don't know, like that just seems like an interesting target to, to, to me from the outside, right? I don't, I don't know what transpired between those two. I'm not sure the genesis of that beef, if there is beef. And honestly, like, I don't, I don't think that it matters for this conversation. Like I'm going to say something that is probably going to be construed as pro gauge and, and anti Scotty, because I think people like to spin like the me versus Scotty narrative, but to be completely honest, like I don't really know gauge. And I've been very transparent. Like I've always looked up to Scotty, right? And so you could look at this honesty, this uh, willingness to say whatever on, is on his mind from Scotty as refreshing. And I think to, to enlarge point, it is. But like there's, if there's an element of this that gets personal, like I just feel like whatever was, is going on, whatever might've been said or done, I assume between Scotty and Gage, like if that's, it, assuming that, that Gage is the target of these comments, my assumption is that got settled on the racetrack in the quarterfinals, right? Like at that point, you have won the battle, Scotty Richardson, that's done, right? And whatever you think of Gage from the outside, however high a pedestal you put Gage Birch on, Scotty beating him is not an upset. Scotty is one of, if not the best to ever do this, right? If it's not a clear cut, number one, he's 1A. So it's no surprise when Scotty wins. It's no surprise when Scotty beats anyone. He won the matchup. He got the last laugh. What happens after that? The, the pumping of the throttle from the finish line to the turnoff and the derogatory comments seemingly aimed at Gage in the winner's circle, like that can seem unnecessary. Like it can feel like rubbing it in, right? And that's Scotty, like that's super polarizing. There is a contingent of our, of our following that loves the fact that he's just willing to say whatever's on his mind. And there is also a contingent that says, it's the quote that I saw. I don't think that this is necessarily widespread an opinion, but the quote I saw was classless. Like you just don't do that. So my question so before you, you before you go before you go farther, you you have it listed as pumping the throttle, or you phrased it as pumping the throttle. There is a phrase used for pumping the throttle in the shutdown area, and it's given him some what? Some Scotties. Yeah. Some Scotties. That, that, so it's it's Scotty's yeah. trademark. Um, <laughs> Even even when he's winning at a very high clip, it's his trademark. So, you know, I, I I think it's habitual maybe for him in some instances, but I still fully understand taking it in a very disrespectful way. And that's where we're at. So I don't I don't know if it's our place to state opinion. Like there's there's two sides of this and 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 the 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 bracket racing community, the sports and racing community seems very divided on where to stand on Scotty. I don't know if it's our place to give opinion, but we're nearly a, a week removed from this. We've had some opportunity to 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 think on it. Like, where do you stand? You're talking about on the on those actions in the shutdown? Yeah, no, just on the whole thing in general, looking back. Like, is this man, I, I love the transparency and the rawness, or is it, man, that feels like it went a bit too far? Well. I, I probably am a little bit of both of that, Luke. Um, I, I love it. I love the. I love any kind of 
controversy that doesn't involve me, uh, things for us to talk about here on the show. And I'm great looking for at numbers. <laughs> I'm looking at the numbers online and, uh, you know, I, it sounds like the world loves it. And, and I appreciate the handful of people that are out there that want to hear your opinion on it. And I get to tag along and give mine too. Um, but it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me. Um, you know, the whole, the whole dart throwing shot fired vibe. It's just not something that I, I guess, would participate in. So that's uncomfortable for me personally, but removed from the event, sitting at home, watching it in my chair on my TV, freaking loved it, man. I really did. I loved it. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't take a side in it by any shape, form, or fashion, but the the whole vibe again of just getting it off your chest and you're Scotty Richardson. So what you say is going to carry throughout the, the bracket racing world nine, 10 times over. People are going to watch that. I've had people comment to me that I wouldn't even have thought of cared about that event. Like, man, did you see Scotty's interview? You damn right. I saw it. And I thought it was freaking cool as hell. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Now, had I been standing there with that microphone, I would have been uncomfortable. Now, Reinhardt's the best there is, and he, he's been in every moment you can be in, so he handled that extremely well. But I, I don't know what I would have done. So he, Scotty was right. They did bring out the best announcers, and they had the perfect guy for that because Reinhardt, you know, he, that stuff doesn't phase him at all. But I would have been super uncomfortable. But from my chair in Coburg, Alabama, yeah, do it. Do it, Scotty. Get him. It was awesome. <laughs> so. I, I let me allow me to to break this into two parts because the you're right in that the 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 post finish line actions like that that's kind of trademark Scotty like the 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 the, the throwing giving them some Scotties that in particular like I'm just not here for it like I I was I was pretty vocal on this after the Hunter Patton thing like that flies all over me just I was literally hours before this happened. I was putting together a lesson for our This Is Bracket Racing Junior members on racing etiquette. And that was the first thing in the lesson. Like the wind light comes on, silence after the finish line. Like there's no, and, and I've had that discussion with a couple of independent junior racers that kind of put my arm around. I'm like, look, I know you're excited, but you can't do that, right? That, that's, 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 that's off limits. And that's the way that I feel about it. So let's just remove that. Personally, how I feel about this for, for whatever it's worth, my only take is I just, I personally, I wish Scotty hadn't said, and I know that that takes the entertainment value out of this, but just from my standpoint, if he just wins that race and shuts up, the narrative is look at this guy. Everything that we just, we said in the open, he hasn't raced in a year. He's in a car that he's driven twice in his life against the best in the world. And he makes it look easy. We'd have said that like collectively as a racing community. And then specifically here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, like we'd have just praised him. And that's all I wanted to say about Scotty Richardson. He's freaking awesome. He's freaking phenomenal, right? And he had to he had to go a step further because honestly, because that's Scotty, right? He did have to say it. Like that's the way that he felt. And it's just it's I think it's a glimpse into what makes him the competitor that he is. I think that that's the fuel behind the fire. And it's also like kind of hard to fully endorse. And I don't want to say that. So I just wish. He'd let his performance do the talking so that we could praise him as a racer because ultimately, personally, that's all I wanted to do. Other notes from the fling, and then we're going to bring in Britt Cummings to talk on the Great American Bracket Race coming up. 
probably give some of his thoughts on all of these topics as well, because Fritz, on some level, like he's been involved in some similar situations. Like, that'll be fun too. So other quick notes. Think Brett might have a comment or two? I, I think he's chomping at the bit, to be completely honest. Yeah, um, me too. I thought it was interesting. We zoom out from Summer Fling Columbus, how the, the finalists of every event were basically split even between the quote unquote all-stars racers that were in the 48 car invited field and the other racers at the event. We had Birch over, Gage Birch follows all of that drama up by nearly running himself in the final the next day, defeats John Siegel in the final. Those were both all-star contestants. Two days later, Jeremy York over Peeps Pennington. Those were both all-star contestants. On Friday and Sunday, we saw Eric Sandlin, Texas baby, Easy E, defeat Donnie Burleson, all-Texas final. And then the closing event saw Greg Krause over Jim Glenn. Um, non-all-stars across the board. So that was evenly split, right? Like I thought that that was interesting. And the two probably marquee performances aside from what Scotty did on Wednesday night, it was Gage Birch nearly running himself in the final of Thursday's 15 grander. It was Peeps Pennington nearly running himself in the final of Saturday's 30 grander. They both fell just short of that. Birch ends up, re-ran himself in the semis, advanced one to the final, defeated John Siegel. Peeps down to three was two of them. Lost to Jeremy York, not once, but twice. Settled for semi and runner-up in Saturday's main event. Jed, I think if if nothing else, that puts into perspective a little bit Zach Fulcher's accomplishment from a few weeks ago. Like, we all understand how difficult it is to advance two entries late in a race of that magnitude, but it's really rare to finish the job and actually advance two entries all, to, all the way to the final. Yeah, most definitely, Luke. Uh, you know, I didn't think about it at the time, but the way you uh, break that down and then talk about Zach Fulcher's accomplishment is uh, it, it's, it's beyond incredible what Zach was able to accomplish on a, on a similar stage. But going back to the discussion about the finalists on the, the ensuing days, Birch over Siegel, all-star final, obviously Gage uh, had his own comments that we'll, we'll talk about in his winner's circle interview. But that if you felt like anything was pointed towards you and you respond that way, that sums Gage Birch up in a nutshell. I mean, that dude just is freaking incredible. He is so talented. And Scotty knows that. Scotty, Scotty said what he said, but uh there's a there's a ton of respect for for Gage and his ability. So we all know that. Um my buddy Siegel making it to the final in a borrowed ride. That was really cool to see. Uh, Jeremy York, unbelievable weekend. I know we'll talk more about that. That guy was in the middle of everything, just freaking performing so well. Uh, Jim Glenn, again, showed his talent in the, in the bracket racing scene, what he is able to accomplish on both the NHRA side and the bracket side. It's very incredible. Kraus, amazing year so far. I know we'll talk more about that. Peep Show, I thought that was Really cool. I love seeing peeps do well. We keep up with one another. The story for me, Luke, is Sandlin, Eric Sandlin. And it not not because it was some unbelievable feat that nobody thought he could accomplish. Just I saw him the week prior at uh, at the the Labor Day 250K. He came in towards the end of the weekend there to watch his brother Chad. And then they were going from there to Columbus. And Eric shared with me that. You know, this is like the dream week for him. You know, 
or the dream run. You know, I get to come up here, do this. Then I'm going to get to go to Columbus and race. I'm sure Eric planned to win, but it didn't feel like that was his expectation. It looked like he was just living the dream. And then to go get it done against a former Texan in Ohio, where you know how good Donnie B is and you win and collect that check. I just, I felt so good for Eric. And I know that was a major accomplishment for him. So uh, not to diminish anything anybody else accomplished, but that was the story for me, what Eric was able to accomplish just because this is not, he's not the traveling bracket racer. This is a blue collar guy back home doing what he does in Texas. And he got an opportunity to live a dream uh, self-admittedly on his part and to go do that, to, to maximize the, the experience, truly incredible. So great job yeah. to, to Easy. Now, full transparency, I, I grew up with Eric. And uh, so, so we go way back. And to know Eric is to love him. Like, I just don't know anybody that, that is around him that he just makes you smile. Like, he's just a re- genuinely good dude, fun to be yes. around. Very humble, super low expectations, self-deprecating, just fun, right? And he, that's how he's always been. And to see him achieve, to to stand on that stage, pretty cool. Like, I can't really think of yeah. anybody more deserving. And if you just want to smile, kind of to Jed's point, I saw the post today that Eric made on, on Facebook. And take a minute. It's a novella, right? It, it takes a little bit to get through. But if you get through that and aren't smiling... Like you, you just, you don't love racing. Like it's, it's very, very cool. So be sure to check that out. Let's start. I haven't seen it. I gotta go. Yeah, I gotta you, go you, that's worth your over. time. It's, it's definitely awesome. worth your time. Um, let's circle back on Gage. Obviously he, you can tell in his post-race winter circle interview, Gage felt like Scotty called him. Um, and he answered now, granted it was for 15 grand and not a hundred grand they, that they were racing for the day before. Um, his post-trace comments, it was it was brief, but, but there was a target in there. I think he said something to the line of, you know, after the finish line, it was a lot quieter than it was yesterday. And, and something along the lines of like, I don't know if that guy just didn't expect to win or or, or what the case may be. Like there was, I, I'm not. It wasn't to something along those words, Luke. That's exactly. Okay, that's exactly what he said. So <laughs> I, I I said where I stand on the, on the post-finish line uh, banter. Like I, I'm not here for it. I will say this. Um, I was, I, again, I mentioned earlier, like, I don't know Gage particularly well. I was a little surprised that he was willing to to get in the mud there. Like, more power to him, as uncomfortable as it makes me. We could all stand for more of this. Uh, I just didn't see that coming. I didn't either. Uh, again, really didn't feel like it was pointed towards Gage until he responded the way he did in the winter circle. And, you know, again, sitting at my house, you know, I couldn't. I couldn't really see where that was coming from, but for, for all I know, there were words exchanged at the track. There were comments made. I don't know. So I don't know the understory here, but Gage definitely took offense to it for whatever reason and obviously got some Scotties in the shutdown area when they raced the day prior. So Gage was definitely offended, and I know Gage fairly well. We're not super tight, but I, I try to congratulate him when he does well, and we certainly have discussions when we see one another in person and that's that seemed like that was out of Gage's comfort zone for sure it it seemed like he felt like that's something he had to do as opposed to something that he wanted to do and that obviously tells the story about how he took Scotty's comments in the in the 100k winter circle before we close the book on on Columbus I think I said Greg Krause earlier 
that's that's a West Coast race. It was Randy Kraus that won that last 30 grander. And Randy Kraus, like short of Chris Bear, Big Jed, I don't know if there's anybody having a bigger year, a better year on the big dollar bracket stage. That dude has been lights out this season. I think he won both of the Harrington main events. He's won multiple events in that region. Like he's been a notable competitor for, for years, for decades. But this year, Randy Kraus has been unstoppable. And I think this is the the cherry on top of that Sunday. So kudos to him getting that win in a coast-to-coast final. That's East Coast over true West Coast. Randy Krause over Jim Glenn, uh, reigning NHRA world champion Jim Glenn in that Sunday $30,000 final. Yeah, it was coast-to-coast. And again, uh, you know, kudos to Jim Glenn for making it there. He's he's probably best known for his 890 talent. But uh, Jim, when he gets to the bracket races, as he's shown on multiple occasions on big stages in recent memory, very capable. But Randy Krause, what a great story. You could immediately, Luke, if you, you know, if you were anywhere around social media uh, at the time of that win, you could just see how much love there is for, for Randy. He's obviously a very genuine person. I don't, I don't know Randy personally, but he's obviously a, a, a well-loved individual in racing and, and in life because there was a tremendous outpouring for him. So really happy to see that. Love to see hard work and just go get it kind of dudes, get out there and get it done. And Randy seems to be that type of person. So really cool stuff. And again, as you said, uh, not sure anybody short of Chris Bears having a better season. So Randy has, has had a phenomenal season and just keep riding away, Randy, because it's uh, it's wonderful for you right now, bro. All right, let's switch gears a little bit and probably kind of retrace some of our steps in the process. I want to bring on Britt Cummings. He's obviously the uh, the co-promoter along with Galen Rollison of the Great American Bracket Races and specifically the upcoming Great American USA 500K. We're going to get more into that as we go along, but Britt, I know you've been you've been listening along. You've probably been on for 10 minutes or so. You've been a, a fixture in this uh, has-beens versus young guns discussion for years. Like you, you went through a, I don't know, a somewhat similar kind of uh, public debate with with Johnny Zell a few years back. At least I'm from the outside, that felt a little bit more good-hearted, maybe than than this Scotty Gage thing feels. But I'm sure you've got takes and you've got opinions here. Like, what was your takeaway watching all of this unfold? Unmute, oh. Britt. All right, how about now? There you go. There you are. Uh, first off, when all this went down, I was at Gulfport on a start line telling people wanted to start the burnout. And uh, Tommy radioed down to me and said, Scotty just won his race. And man, you need to go somewhere where it's quiet and watch what he says. I'm like, okay. So I, I went and did it. And, and I'm kind of like Jed. I'm 50-50. But when I first saw it, I'm like, hell yeah. You know, you know, he he, he said what everybody else You know, I, I've been saying every time I, one of these young guys went to damn kids. But I'm just mad because I'm that good or I ever have been that good, you know. Um, there, there I'm out of juniors as as good as I was at my peak, you know. They, they just come out and destroy everybody. So I understand the damn kid things, and, and that's all in fun. But when I saw the Scotty say that, I'm like, holy shit! And and I have no idea what goes on, what was going on, and. Uh, I didn't know who it was directed to. And honestly, I didn't know who it was directed to till today. Right before I got on the phone, I did right before I got on the plane, I got I did my homework. Y'all gonna be proud. So let me start this off saying this is new school. This is old. This is new, right? This is young and this is old. Okay. 
<laughs> the live audience is, is definitely getting a treat here. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so. Uh, well, hang on, Britt. Hang on, Britt. Before you go any farther, Britt, you mentioned, uh, but you know, before I got on the plane, are you, you so anybody that, that hasn't seen Britt's Facebook post, you need to go see the plan. <laughs> Britt flew from Louisiana to St. Louis on a stick of chewing gum with a damn propeller on the front of it. I mean, I, I'm watching your video and you, uh, I see the propeller out front. Looks like a it looks like a, a ceiling fan somebody mounted on the front of a, a you know, just a compartment. And I'm like, Britt, you're not flying to St. Louis on this thing, but you did. So I, I first and foremost, I want to say I'm glad you're there and able to talk to him. I really am. Well, it was almost like the first time me and John, me and Tommy lit the jet at Gulfport. We said our prayers, said our goodbyes, you know. Uh, <laughs> so that's kind of how I, I didn't even eat supper last night because I didn't want to have the bubble guts on this thing. <laughs> yeah, or the weight. <laughs> I didn't see a emergency landing being good for anybody. So I, I didn't even eat supper last night. So I'm hungry. I just got off the plane and I was there to get all this stuff. so i'm ready to talk um and, and since i got the old on we can talk about the old first if i need a question get an answer that comes to my head well there's no doubt you you're going to provide great answers for the questions but you know you uh you I got old school and new school both there and you obviously had your discussion you had your comments about the the winter circle picture but you know if you if you took the top 10 young guns in bracket racing today and put them against the top 10 let's say 45 years and older just real simple who's going to win the majority if they run the race all, losing all in one day the young guys you got me yeah there you are okay if you run the race all in one day the young guys you know probably at a disadvantage if it's running a daytime early in the day uh if you run it over a course three days you know, which we all have done when we first start out. You know, you make a couple of time runs uh, here and there and, and and race whenever you could or around here, around there. Um, if you go over different conditions and stuff, I think the old guys have an advantage. Um, but young guys, is, I mean, it goes all right. They don't care. I mean, the old guys, Jed, you know, we in bed. Luke, you know, you're starting to figure that out. So, but anyway, <laughs> I did my homework and – I contacted both parties that y'all talked about. Um, y'all narrowed it down to uh, who was the, the talk of these conversations. So the old guy, the race, this is this is reaction time. 005, 008, 007, 023, 021, and 025. Now, by my math, that's like a 14.8 average. So how is a guy that good, 005, 008, 007, 23, 21, 25. What happened there? I'm going to say it got nighttime, more than likely. And he said, I don't have to be double O to win these rounds. I'm probably going to need to be behind because these guys like to hold and I don't want the better two trees. So, you know, the age comes in. He raced smart, in my opinion. I've had no conversation with him, but I'm going to say that's kind of what went down there. Agreed. Yeah. Y'all agree with that? Oh, most definitely. We know when it gets nighttime, it uh, it changes the game for these old eyes. <laughs> and, and you know, the, the the old guy told me so. When I when I took the finish line, I was 
006 average. Now I have no no idea how many times he took it and how many times he didn't take it, but I'm going to say um, he didn't take it at all. The last three rounds, I'm going to say he didn't take it, I, and I have no idea how the race played out. I'm just guessing. Yeah, we went through uh, it round by round. I think go, I think he took it first round, third round, fourth round, and all by double O. And every time that he got behind, he got behind. Yeah, like you're supposed to. Oh, and in the final, he got their first now, round. So four out of six. Yeah. Okay, so so great argument is the average is 14.8 from day to night. He's hadn't been in a car in a year. I mean, that's I hope to have a 14 average this weekend. You know, we all know the last time I came out, Luke, my average wasn't that good. So putting my new school hat back on, talked to the young, I uh, texted with the young guy. Here's his stats. 31 lights for the weekend. Men lights was 17 for Thursday. His first round, he was double O, take triple, I mean, he was low, take triple low. His average tree was 10.6 for the weekend. His average tree on Thursday was 10. His spread, however, on Thursday was 25 and and 10. So did he have did he play smart a couple of rounds and not have no he not have to be double O and he, it wasn't his advantage to get there first? Maybe I don't know. He was for the weekend. He was triple O four times. Um, for his losses, uh, the losses that came from he was minus double O one on the wrong side. So you know a guy over a young guy over three days that kind of rebukes what i said a while ago can he do it over three days and have that kind of average it sure looks like it on paper um and his interview is just the opposite of what what the old guy said you know he i had the pleasure of helping the young guy um with his, uh, some sponsorship proposals and and who to talk to and when he gave me his way, coming out of juniors he had over 500 junior wins he has no choice but to be good, you know. And, and a good, great friend of mine, the podcast, told me years ago, watch this guy Gage Birch when he comes out of Florida and when he gets in a big, he's gonna make a lot of noise. And guess what? He's been right. Now, Scotty, on the other hand, the old guy, I think he killed the old guys this weekend. Uh, these young guys are gonna have a chip on their shoulder. You know, Scotty <laughs> is an. <laughs> Scotty is accepting to the old guys. All of us old guys can go out and perform like that once a year. I know I, I, I have no expectations this weekend. But he, his comments and his statements just made much, much harder for me. Um, <laughs> I think Scotty did two things to the rest of us. Hey, he raised the bar, right? He's making all of us think, like, I, we can just show up every now and then and look what Scotty did. Like, okay, newsflash, we're not Scotty. Yeah. <laughs> to your point. Scott. He pissed all the young kids off, so it's, it might not be good for the rest of us. <laughs> I mean, I know where I'm at. Lines, you know, I'm not pulling up no young guy. So, kind of like Forrest Gump. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> all right, let's get down to brass tacks. We just finished up the the summer fling in Columbus. Obviously, the the OG million is this week. I want to talk to you a little bit about that and get your take on it as it as it's going on, but. This is all um, kind of leading up to you're in Galen's race, which is the last one on the schedule, the last in this series of huge, huge events. The Great American USA 500K, uh, Capital City Motorsports Park, October 17th through the 21st. For those that may not be familiar, tell us a little bit about that event, what we can expect about a month from now. Well, it's uh, on a familiar date. Um, has been that way for the past tw- tw- over 25 years um, at a familiar facility. Um, October 17th through 21st, we'll be at Montgomery Capital City Motorsports Park. 
Um, we have the three side races and a big one. The three side races are 340s. And the big one is um, 500K to win. Uh, we have a cat field of 385. We have a few entries left to sell for that. Um, that's kind of what I plan on doing here this in the next day and a half is trying to get that thing sold out so we can move on to other stuff we need to concentrate on. Um, but it is structured, the purse structure 500 is a little different. It's still a $2,000 entry fee, like uh, the million dollar races. Um, but the pay scale, how it pays back, is a little different, you know, as far as, you know, 385 to 384. It goes from 373, 374, all the way through 85 years in the pay structure instead of bigger increments of 25. Um, but th that was something that we decided to do. We just wanted, to, we didn't want it to be like every other race out there. We want to structure a little bit different. Just, you know, how, how we like to roll. We like to be different. We, we promote, promote like a bunch of rednecks. Um, don't like following with anybody. Kind of like to have ideas. Um, it's surrounded by triple 40s. It's a $1,000 entry fee. Also capped at 385. You have to be in the, entered in the 500 to be able to race the 40Ks. And um, on Tuesday evening, you you know, lead it off. Actually, at 6 o'clock tonight, uh, about an hour and nine minutes ago, we started taking entries for the 128-car folk race cars, American race cars, drags or shootout. Now, I know when I got off the plane, my phone just, I could hear my uh, emails going off. So I know we sold a bunch of them. It went off from my, all the way from the plane over here to where I'm sitting now. Um, so it could be sold out. I don't know. I got straight on here with y'all guys. Uh, but that'll be on Tuesday. It's a $400 entry fee, um, 128 cars. The, the winner gets to choose out of an American race car or a folk race car, stage one chassis. Um, you know, and, and runner-up, obviously, would get the So as basically, Tuesday is time trial day. After Tuesday in the 40Ks, there's no new entry time runs. Your time runs is on Tuesday. Uh, for the 500K, everybody will get a time run. And uh it's a race set up and structured to where it should be with 385 entries. Y'all got both y'all guys know how long it takes to run 385 entries, even with a little hiccups and weather and this and that and other, you could possibly get it all done in a timely manner. And, uh, you know, we have our own jet dryer we're bringing, uh, bringing a lot of our crew. Uh, they have a brand new timing system there, AccuTime and new wiring. Haven't heard anything but nothing but good um, since they did that. Uh, Brad Wheeler, obviously, he's a hands-on guy, kind of like I am. They say he's out there in the trenches every day working on something. So uh, I'm excited. I'm probably going to go there in the next week and a half, two weeks to just make sure everything, how we want to set up, which is we want to be different than everybody else. have a couple different ideas how we want to set up, you know, the racers party and uh, some eighth mile shenanigans and stuff like that. No, like. Call me old fashioned. And maybe it is like you kind of mentioned earlier, like I've kind of got that stock eliminator mentality. Like you really don't want to catch me before noon. After that, it starts right. trailing off a little bit. Right. But I have zero interest in in competing against five, six, seven hundred other racers like that just doesn't appeal to me anymore. So the the idea of this being limited the 385 is a great number because I think that's manageable across the board. And I love the fact that it's not just 385 in the main event like that's all that we're going to deal with all week like that makes the race manage manageable assuming the weather cooperates we're going to get to bed at a decent time like i don't know that that appeals to everyone but it certainly appeals to to my demographics so thank you for that i'm in for that well luke you lied a little bit there uh, i'm gonna call you out on you know you didn't look like it you know run all hours of the day and night bothered you at the, the last million we had there uh, in a hundred K, would you have, no, was it, it was a million you did so wet, right? Or was it uh, the last day? I think it was an 80 grander. Yeah. 
Yeah, he just had to run all, all day and all doggone night. And he no, you didn't run yourself in a foul, but you got close, didn't you? Yeah, I think I was in both races late, but yeah. Yeah, something like that. I, I just remember, but you lied a little bit right there. I'm not getting any younger, Britt. Yeah, yeah. None of us are. Britt, you got to feel good for you and Galen. The vibe around Capital City right now is incredible. Um, you know, we all know the the challenges that Capital City has had in years past, but I truly believe that I can say with all honesty that is corrected 100%. It's got new ownership. It's got, you know, great leadership there with Brad Wheeler. Uh, he is fully invested in making that facility everything he can possibly make it. The timing system is as good as any on the market that we all know the AccuTime timing system is a wonderful system. It's got great support behind it. There should be zero reason for anyone to question what is going to happen at Capital City. And certainly the fact that you and Galen are so hands-on and you're so involved in your own events, that just takes it to another level. I I couldn't imagine anybody having any reservation whatsoever uh, about things they knew about the old Montgomery, the, the new place, it's ready to go. And I'm hearing great things down there. So you guys are going to have a wonderful crowd and a great event. I, I think you're right. Um, like I said, I, I've kept my ear close to the ground since they got everything back back going and, you know, learned a little information today, this morning. Uh, everything's going to be good there. Uh, I have no doubt at all about that. Um, it, let me get back to these entries. I, I'm My sole job for coming to this OG Million yeah, am I going to race? Yes. Do I have any expectations of winning? No. But my first priority is I'm going around to all our customers that's going to be at this OG Million. And uh, if they're not signed up, and I know they have, there's a good possibility of a person coming, I, I'm going to try and sign them up on the spot. I'm trying to sell this thing out in the next day and a half. Um, so if you're if you're not at the OG Million and you're thinking about it, you have about a day and a half to get in there because I come here with a sole purpose. And, um, you know, also when you sign up, if you want to do it now, it uh, it puts you for a $23,000 98 headhunter mode from Scoggin Ticket to Pan. You know, that's one perk of it. I don't know if there's any drags to race shootout entries left. I don't know that, but it, it makes you eligible for that if there's any left. It's on sale right now. Um, all it bucks for the 500k uh paid the rest at the gate you pay for the 40 grinders at the gate and um my internet's unstable um, for, for those racers not at the og that you may not come in contact with listening to this watching this live wanting to jump in wanting to get that entry and what's the best place for them to go you can go to greatamericanbrackenraces.com and there is a tab that'll say uh entry for 3K, and uh, it should be right below that. It'd be an entry for the Dragster shootouts if if they're if it's not sold out. I have no idea. Um, but you can you know there's links on the Facebook. Uh, if, you, if you're not computer savvy and you have my phone number, check me. I can like every day and a half, two days. Um, that's my that's my plan, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> uh Britt, you are coming to us live from the OG Million. Sounds like you just rolled in on a on a stick of gum. Is that what you said, Chad? Stick of gum with yeah, a stick of gum with a ceiling fan on it. You're on site. I, I, I had should... a... what was that, Britt? 
I said, I had a very good pilot. It's, it's, you know, he's been probably talked about a time to on our podcast, John Jill. Uh, all the air, only thing I saw that was wrong was all the air, all the air traffic in the, uh, the towers was a little bit of Cajun accent. <laughs> all right. So since you're there on site and I, and I'll see you, I plan to see you there in a couple of days myself. Typically, Jed and I, we like to preview the the mega events, particularly a race like this that is there's not capped on entries. So we always we go through three questions. Okay. And I'll, I'll just run through the three real quick. I, I'd like to get your take on them. Jed and I will weigh in as well. We talk about how many entries they're going to have both in the main event and this the the surrounding events, maybe the biggest surrounding event. And then obviously let's all give a prediction for the big winner of the 28th running of the OG million, which by the way, Big Jet, am I mistaken? Like I tend to give us too much credit. I think we coined that term, OG million. I see they've leaned into it. Like that's actually on the the branding. It is OG million. I think we started that. You know, I do believe the first time I ever heard that phrase, uh, I appreciate you giving us credit, but it was you. Uh, you called it the OG. And, uh, and I do think that, that you definitely come up with that title. So should be an entry waiting on you or something when you get there. Something. I think we also, we coined Johnny Brackett Racer too. We're just, we're just making waves. You definitely did that. You definitely did that. Okay. So OG Million, a year ago, it was the biggest one ever. A year ago, it was in Montgomery, basically on the weekend that, that Britt just discussed that they've taken over with this USA 500K. A year ago, 496 entries in the main event. 626, I believe, was the biggest surrounding day of the million. Jed, you first. What is that entry count going to look like this, the first year of the OG in St. Louis? You know, Luke, uh, I just ran the numbers. That was 79% a million entries versus total entries in the surrounding races. Unheard of. Uh, yeah, it's it's hovered around 50% for many years and uh, had climbed above that a time or two recently, but 79% is ridiculous. I don't feel like 79% is going to be the number again. I think the the number is going to be big. I think the million itself is going to have 457 entries, but I think the surrounding races are going to get to 675. Um, a lot of people are, are experiencing this race for the first time. I think that will cut the percentage of million versus total just slightly, but I still think it's going to be very big. Those are big numbers. Those are big numbers. Britt? And I'm going to say the main event, they're going to have, uh, I'm going to be a, a lot higher than Jed. I'm going to say 529. Ooh, okay. Mm. And the surrounding uh, races? The, the surrounding races, I think they will end up at about 714. Ooh, okay. Big numbers. This is a man on site. Yeah, I have a little bit of inside information, too. I'm not on site. I'm, I'm not on site yet. Oh, okay. I'm not yet. Number like 714 I mean, sounds like a big old foot brake race. Yeah. Hey. It, it, <laughs> Everybody should do foot brake races. Some people is going to ice All right, so we're recording this on Tuesday night. There are obviously, there's cars going down the racetrack, like they're racing for 20 grand as we speak, right? So there, there is some sense of what's actually there. I was going to go, I've been teasing this for months. I was going to go off the charts. Like I've been wanting to say 804 for two months. I'm going to, I'm going to temper that just a little bit because the way that the surrounding races get huge, 
is the the novelty of being at the million. And I thought coming to this area, like you're just going to have so many racers because it is a big region for racing. So many racers say, you know, I've never been to that race. I always wanted to go to that race. Like I'm in. Um, I think that got, that's been tempered a little bit for two reasons. Number one, I think more and more racers are realizing like how little fun it actually is to race with six, 700 plus cars, right? And I also, I've just noticed and, and I probably should have had the radar up to this, like in this general region, there's a lot going on this weekend that won't necessarily take away from the million. The people that are on the million were planning on around the million, no matter what. But I think we'll take away some of that novelty, like the division three T finals are this weekend at Indy, the IHRA bracket finals in Holly Springs that covers a lot of the region that would typically descend on an event like this. Like there's a, there's a verge race in Paducah, maybe three hours from St. Louis. There's a 10 grander in Knoxville. There's three, seven granders, like two miles up the road that I think will take a few, each of those races will take a few racers that might otherwise go to the million and run at least the surrounding races. So I'm going to temper my 804 a little bit. My numbers come in closer to Brits. I will say right at 700, give me like 698 in the biggest surrounding event. And I actually, the opposite of Jed, what you said, like, I feel like the majority of the racers there are there for the whole deal. And, and I'll go like 522 in the, in the million itself. I think it's going to be the big. Basically, wow, those we are all big numbers. Ever. Yeah, they are, those are big numbers. All right, give me a winner. Let's go in the same order. Jed, then Britt, then me. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll reverse it because it's not fair for me to always go last. My, my take on this, and obviously, if, if, if we're right and there's 450 to 500 some odd entries, like there are 450 to 500 probably deserving entries that could certainly win this event. I just have a feeling I have nothing to base this on whatsoever. I have a feeling that the driver that hoists the trophy at the end of the day, Friday or Saturday, or whenever they actually wrap this thing up. I just don't feel like it's going to be one of the, the quote unquote touring pros. And I also just don't have this feeling that it's going to be this obscure local racer that no one's ever heard of. I think it's going to fall somewhere in between, like someone that is not new to racing on this stage, but maybe doesn't battle against the best of the best week in and week out. And when I think about that, there were two names that jumped to mind, Big Jed, and these will, these will resonate with you. One of them very close to your heart. Another that I think we're all familiar with. Two guys that have relatively quietly had as good a season as anyone that I think come into an even event of this magnitude brimming with confidence. I know we're supposed to pick one. I'm picking two. I'm staying on the door car side. Give me Heath Davis. Give me Jeremy Heffler. Oh, wow. Great pick. Definitely both very solid pick. Britt, you uh, you were in the middle both times. This is your time. Yeah, um, Luke took one of mine. Um, and, and actually, the second one was on my list. Um, but if I can have two also, I'm, I'm going to go uh, Jeremy Heffler. And I'm going to stay in tech. I'm going to go Bartnell. Oh, you cut out a little bit. Was that Bart Nelson? I said Bart Nelson. Yeah, that's a good thing. I sure did. Bart Nelson and Jeremy Heffler if I get two. Um, I'm gonna keep it in Texas. Uh, obviously, I hope me or my brother wins it. But if I had, uh, you know, can't pick family. So yeah, that's true. You can't pick family. Yeah, it's you not tower power. It. But you it can would, pick anybody you want to. It would. It's not tower power. It's it's podcast power. If we if we just started keeping the picks in here, right? Well, in, in that case, uh, I'd like to say my brother's gonna win because y'all's podcast seems to have a lot of effect on people. <laughs> Well, it's just because we talk about everybody, Britt. <laughs> so at some point, yeah. you got to get it right. Um, 
I stated in our bold prediction that the the OG Million, given its new location, would be won for the first time by a West Coast racer uh, earlier in the podcast season. I am going to use that as one of my picks because it was my bold prediction, and I'm not going to say who it is because I saw that Chris Whitfield's going to... Is that to Maple say you Grove. lost Whitfield? <laughs> yeah, he's going to Maple Grove, so... You know, he would definitely have been one, but the West Coast full of full of people that can get this done. Uh, if I had to pick one, I would say uh, Race Kid. Um, but that said, I'd like to come back to the Mid-South. There's a guy that races really, really good. This is going to be somewhat familiar territory for him. He's raced around the Memphis area for a long time, and that's Cody Graham. I'm going... CG for the OG million win in St. Louis. And if he doesn't win, then it's probably going to be somebody from the West Coast like Race Kid. CG for the OG. <laughs> yeah, perfect. All right. So we've got we've got big car count predictions. We've got two picks each for winners. Bold predictions, sure to go wrong. Anything else you're expecting from the week at the OG million that if has if that event has proven anything over the years, it is to expect the unexpected. We have no idea what we're getting in. I haven't looked at the weather, Luke. Uh, you know, gorgeous. That's chamber of commerce. Okay. So the weather's perfect. I expect this to be the most um, uneventful or least amount of surprises in a million in quite some time. I don't think that's a bold prediction, and I really think this thing is going to go super smooth. And the million's going to find a, a home that it really likes and that the racers really like. And I think it's going to go so good that, you know, people are it's it's really going to go nuts next year. If it if it's not considered nuts this year, it's going to be fantastic. But I think people are going to sit and watch how great and smooth and wonderful this event runs. And they're going to flock to it next year in crazy, stupid numbers. Yeah, if anything. Like Paige is on here. Paige is working double duty podcast and she's in the, she's in the, she's in the tower at the million 600 ish today on uh Tuesday. So it, yeah, it looks like our, our, our guesses are on, if not perhaps even a touch low. So it's going to be a big OG million. We'll have a ton to talk about next week. And like you, Jed, I'm rooting for, uh, for, for less drama. And I think, uh, I think the table is set for that. They certainly need it. And uh, I hope we've got nothing but good vibes going on next week. One one bold prediction I will make, given the weather, lots of good wheelies on Motor Mania. I'm, I'm going to raise my hand. If you forgive an award for prettiest wheelies, I'm, I'm going to be in the run, and I'm doing good wheelies. You think you really think the dragsters are going to put on that kind of show? No, nah, I'm not. Oh, into that's right. I don't nobody, no, nobody says, hey, the dragsters are running. Let's go watch it. No, no. I forgot. It'll be fun. Yeah, yeah it's going to be awesome. Well, I just made awesome. my we, mind. We wish you... We wish you a lot of success on your mission and your primary reason for showing up. And uh, we're certainly looking forward to the Great American 500K, man. That's going to be a, a huge event in a, a very familiar time frame, as you said, a very familiar facility. And I know you guys are going to kill it down there. Can't wait. Yeah, we're just going to uh, go in there and do what we do. Uh, adding Tommy to the event and all the the, the, the people we got that that that's come to be our family and our staff um it's gonna be a good one like i said we're gonna come here and do what we do and do as we say we're gonna do you always do and you usually do more than than you have on the flyer so uh, we appreciate you guys and 
hoping for nothing but success for you down there. All right. Thank you all guys for having me on. Yeah. Looking forward to it, Britt. Thanks for being here before we, uh, before we wrap up for today and I, we'll, we'll let Britt go, but Jed, I, I just wanted to circle back and touch briefly on a, on a couple of events and stories from the week that was that obviously get a little bit overshadowed by, uh, by Columbus, by Scotty Richardson, by the, the fuel factory, all-star 100 K the NHRA Lucas oil series made its way to Earlville, Iowa, big Jed division five event. I believe it's the final division five event on the schedule for, uh, 2023 and one Wyatt Wagner, Jed Wyatt Wagner goes back to back. He won Indy cut two weeks ago. He wins again in Earlville and he has placed himself firmly in that super stock title conversation. Um, what was looking more and more like a two-horse race that we talked about a couple of weeks ago between Tyler Kahili and Brad Burton. It's now a three-horse race at minimum. It could broaden from there. I could break down the odds, Jed, between the three of those, Wyatt Wagner, Tyler Kahili, Brad Burton, but they're in similar position, a top uh, kind of distance themselves from the rest of the field at this point. And I've, we've been saying it for six months. This super stock race is going to be one to watch. This is going to be a lot of fun. Look, we, we've been saying it for six months about this one, but we say it for nine months about all of them. The, something about the super stock category, there's so much talent and great equipment and uh, great, uh, you know, performances that it always seems to come down to a situation like this. Wyatt Wagner comes from nowhere and puts this string together, puts himself firmly in the conversation. It's going to be a blast. Again, uh, Wyatt Wagner, great. Great to see him do well. Brad Burton, always great to see him do well. Tyler Kahili's from down here in my division. And uh, and Tyler, this is not something he chases a whole lot. So not really pulling for anyone, but it'd be great to see Tyler get this deal accomplished, uh, certainly in a in a category that he um, he has competed in quite some time, but probably never been considered uh, one of the greats in it, but he should be. I'm not pulling for anyone, but I'm a homer. Tyler Keeley's not from Alabama, but he's as close as you can get. Not actually yeah. from Alabama, so I'm pulling for Tyler. Fair enough. As impressive, like that. <laughs> what Wyatt Wagner did is unequaled, winning Indy and Earlville, but when Devin Eisenhower got about as close to duplicating the feat as you can get without actually duplicating the feat, Devin won Indy a week ago in the Super Comp category. He advanced to the semifinal round in Earlville. He now moves to second place in the national standings behind Jason Kinney in front of Travis Theobald. I've, I don't think it is a stretch to say that he, Devin Eisenhower, is in the best position of those three, but this is another chase that is far from over. This is another one that will be exciting to the end. It definitely will. And again, just like Superstock, the conversation is is just has a tremendous amount of talent involved. When you talk about Eisenhower and again, making a late run always seems to, to happen. Jason Kenny, a, a veteran in the category. Travis Theobald, a lot of talent, probably the best looking of the three by far. So, you know, that's an advantage. If you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you race good, Luke. So I wouldn't know. Um, but you know that the the points chase is about to transition back into Travis's region of the country, so it'll be interesting to see how that impacts the points championship, and if any of the this East Coast flavor goes out that way for the last couple of events or even more. So it's very exciting, really, when you break it down and look at the potential for each of them, what's in front of them, what they still have yet to accomplish, and where the races are going to be. 
pretty good stuff and uh, definitely look forward to to seeing how it plays out and, and hearing your breakdown. I had a couple of quick hitters before we get out of here and realize this has been a long episode, but it's been a good one. We've had some good content here. Yeah. Stuff that we just had to get into. I don't know how you feel about this specifically, Big Jed, because we're going to go to to your backyard. We're going to talk about a race in Alabama, but it was a, it was a volunteer that came in and absolutely stole the show, Big Jed. Shelby Thurman, Nashville, Tennessee area, young Shelby Thurman. My goodness, Big Jed, I know that you're aware of what happened. Shelby yes. Thurman rolled into Capital City Motorsports Park. She won a $5,000 gambler's race Friday night to kick off the weekend in an S10. She promptly hopped into her junior dragster Saturday morning and won that category, $500 junior dragster race. That evening, back in the S10, she won a team race with a pair of teammates collected the big main event team race of the weekend. She then closed the weekend, Big Jed, by driving to a $10,000 victory in said S10. Four final rounds, four victories, one weekend, one 17-year-old female driver absolutely running amok on the state of Alabama, Big Jed. How do you feel about that? Uh, Well, Luke, uh, you know, typically I would want to try to find a way to tear this down and not uh, not celebrate it. But how awesome is Shelby Thurman? First of all, I want to say congrats to Steve Thurman. I know how hard Steve works on his own racing program, and he puts double that energy effort and amount of money into Shelby's to make sure that she's got the best equipment. So Steve, congrats to you. And then an even more gooder congrats to Shelby Thurman. Luke, you know, uh, crafty veterans don't do this. I mean, this was an incredible performance. Certainly when you add the junior aspect to it, the, the junior win, uh, veterans don't have that opportunity. So uh, for her to display her talent on the top bulb and accomplish all of that in a weekend and then get in the junior and win the, the junior race as well, it's a, it's a once-in-a-lifetime accomplishment. That, that she just got that done. And as I watched it unfold, you know, I, I see it on Facebook, you know, on the, the first day. And then I, I see it like, well, she just won the $500. And then they come back and, wow, Shelby Thurman's still getting it done. You know, her team wins the team race. And then incredibly, the more there's more winner circle pictures on Sunday when she wins the 10K main event. The only race that she didn't win was the the Saturday main event that was won by KC Pesnell, a young racer from Alabama. But the young racers are as good as they think they are, Luke. Apparently, <laughs> they may be better than they think they are. Because I don't know if you ask either one of them, are you going to win if they would have said yes. So they might be a little better than they think they are. The young talent in this sport is incredible. And Shelby is somebody that's committed a lot of her time and energy to this sport from a very young age. And it's really, really cool to see that turn into this type of performance, a dream performance, and to to be celebrated so well for what she accomplished because it was one heck of an accomplishment. Yeah, taking into account Shelby's age and then also, like you mentioned, the, the, the junior dragster element of this, like winning in the junior amidst winning in the big car like the only parallel i can draw it's reminiscent somewhat of jesse fritz like we saw him do something similar to this a year ago admittedly on a on a smaller stage like the the stakes weren't as high as what shelby just walked out of out of capital city with but it does it it speaks to the quality 
of competition in the junior ranks. And I know if you're listening to this, like, obviously I'm a bit biased because I'm closer to it now, but a lot, a lot of these junior racers really, a lot of these junior events, I should say, really do set the stage, like prime the next generation for success at the highest levels of our sports. And that's been, that's been um, showcased by Shelby Thurman, by Jesse Fritz, by Anson Brown, by the Eisenhower brothers, by Gage Birch, right? And you go on down that list. And just along those lines, Jed, like I'm going to, I'm going to deep dive here just a little bit because this is the race I was at last weekend. We went, we went junior racing last weekend. If you're just looking for who's next, right? Who's the next Shelby Thurman? Who's the next Gage Birch, perhaps. I don't want to put too much pressure on these young kids, but I got a couple of names for a couple of names that absolutely carried the flag last weekend. How about my little guy, Hutch Harger? The OGs out there may be familiar with Cody. Cody Harger, Hutch's dad, a tremendous racer in his own right. He was also like uh, the head tech inspector at the OG Million for, for several years, did a lot in that capacity. Hutch Harger, eight years old, Big Jed. I'm not sure. Well, let me just highlight the accomplishment. Hutch and Cody made their way to Lions, Indiana last week because as part of the Midwest Junior Super Series race, the Sunday race was for the, the Division Three championship, right? The winner in each age group got the Division Three Wally and, and, and got to lay claim to that championship. Well, earlier this season, before the Western Conference Finals in Denver, they held the Division Five ET Finals and Hutch won that. So he, he got the Wallys, the Division Five champion. And then it came bracket finals time in their home division, Division Four. Ardmore, Oklahoma. But guess what? Hutch Harger, he won the six to nine age age group. He hoisted that wall. Multiple division championships, same season. At that time, Cody says to Hutch, like, if you want to keep going, like, we'll go to the division three ET finals. They do that Sunday. And guess what, Jed? Hutch Harger wins the six to nine-year-old age group. He is your division three champion. So eight-year-old Hutch Harger. I'm not sure. I don't think this is crazy to say. I don't think anyone has ever won three different division titles in the same season. In any capacity in our sport, Hutch Harder just did it at eight years old. Very impressive accomplishment for sure, Luke. I, you know, I, I don't know how many people have ever given themselves an opportunity to win three different division titles, but Hutch, uh, his father, Cody, and again, I think uh, you described him well and, and helped people understand who he is if you're not familiar with him. But uh, Cody has worked hard on the program to make sure that, that he's given – his kids the best equipment possible. Hutch is a generational talent, Luke. I, I've watched the kid myself. He he really has it. You can just tell the way his routine starts and finishes, and then the actual on-track action when he hits the throttle. The kid is a generational talent, uh, looking for huge things to come from him in the future, and certainly at this age, accomplishing something that's never been done before. He won't understand it, but this is going to be something super cool for him to look back on. And certainly kudos to, to Cody for running him around the country. They're from Louisiana and they went to Denver and they've gone to, you know, the other uh, division finals, which were much closer than Denver, but still a haul. So really cool for Cody to, to do that. You can tell when Cody discusses, uh, their their intentions to go race on Facebook or he'll do a little live sometimes on Facebook from the event. He has a ton of confidence in Hutch and believes that he can go out and win. And there's there's obviously great reason for that. This kid, again, is uh, is rare in our sport. And 
going to accomplish a lot of wonderful things. Chad, you mentioned the term generational talent, and I'm going to beat on this drum here. I've talked about this kid before, and again, I don't want to put the burden of expectation on his shoulder, but Carson Weed is a generational talent. Carson Weed is a is a drag racing prodigy. I, I would go so far as to say he is a drag racing savant. This kid is unreal, Big Jed. I, I, I've sung his praises before here on the podcast. He won three times over the weekend at the at the Midwest Junior Series race, which is kind of a broken record. Like it feels kind of inevitable at this point. That's just what he does. Um, he did it all on a broken foot. <laughs> that that adds a layer of complexity. Yeah. Let me just try to put this into perspective. Okay. So this Midwest Junior Super Series, yes, it is a regional series in the in the in the Midwest. It is littered top to bottom with the best junior dragster racers in the region. Like it is. Yes, it is a regional series. The level of competition is immense in every category. It is, it is, it is the best of the best in this area. Carson, we, so the, the way that the, the Midwest series works is basically they do one day of full tree racing and then they do the next day of pro tree racing. And pro tree is the index is basically broken up by age groups. So you've got an 1190 index, heads up five tenths pro tree, an 890 index, a 790 index. So last season, Carson Weed, who is now 10, 10 years old. Just keep that in the framework of this discussion. Kid's 10 years old. A year ago, Carson ran the table in the Midwest Series in the 1190 category. Okay, the 1190 Pro Tree heads up race. They had five events. He did not lose. He won all five events, ran the table, won the points championship, didn't lose a single round. Admittedly, as, as someone that watched his son compete in the same class, it was kind of unfair because Carson could be like 50 on the tree. And you can just imagine like an 1190 junior dragster. Nobody else could be 50 on the tree. Carson had like, Five hundreds to a tenth advantage every time he staged, and he understood what to do with that. He was he was not going to be fast forward to this year. Carson transitions; he moves up to the eight ninety category. Now it's ten to twelve year olds. He's at the bottom of the class. The prediction would be there's going to be some growing pains. There's going to be some learning curve. There's going to be some struggle. We just finished the season. The event last weekend was the last Midwest Junior Series race of twenty twenty three, and guess what, Carson, we did. He ran the table in the 890 category. He won all four events. He never lost a round. In heads up pro tree index competition, Carson Weed has not lost a round in two years. Absolutely That's insane. Like, I, I don't I don't want to put the burden of expectation on anyone. And who knows what this looks like six to eight years from now, like when Carson Weed is old enough to race with us. But damn, man. I mean, like. It's really impressive. And he's got the 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 family, the surrounding around. Like they do it the right way. His brother is extremely talented, a great racer in his own right. His parents are all in. Like the the sky's the limit. And this kid is on. Luke, I've got a, a dragster, junior dragster that goes 1190s. Um, if we were racing Saturday on a pro tree and I needed baby girl to be 50. We'd have to leave right now. We'd have to hit the gas right now, and it's Tuesday. You can't be 50 <laughs> over 23 in 1190 junior dragster. So the kid obviously has some kind of uh, exceptional uh, ability to, to go out and perform, and the index round record over two seasons, absolutely amazing, especially considering going from 1190 to 890. That's incredible. That's a difficult transition, but he obviously made that very well. And, you know, again, another generational talent, a prodigy, 
uh, all of that. And we have talked about Carson multiple times on this show for great things that he's accomplished on the racetrack. And something tells me we'll talk about it quite a bit more, Luke, as, uh, as the seasons progress. So great for Carson. Really cool. Love seeing this young talent in the sport accomplishing great things. Shelby Thurman was a great junior dragster racer. And look what she's doing now in the big cars. The, the, the uh, talent and ability doesn't necessarily just easily transition into the big cars, but awareness of how to get a routine and stick to it and make your equipment perform, you know, obviously with help or without that, that does transition and these racers are destined for great futures in our sport. And uh, hopefully we, we hear about a lot more kids with this kind of talent so we can continue to see our sport live and, certainly celebrate great racers here on the sports and drag racing podcast i think that's it hour and 10 minutes later we're done already 110 minutes later i think that's it i think that's the show man this thing just flew by what a cool show man we got to talk about legends in the sport and shots fired and all kind of good stuff we even watched the, the interview right here on the on the live feed so if you're if you're listening to this I'm guessing you'll get to hear it, but it gets a little broken in places. And you have, if you're watching it, it helps. If you're just listening, stay with it. I know Britt's uh, internet signal was not wonderful. He's a little broken in places as well. So definitely uh, just stay with it and and try to cipher through it. But definitely um, some great stuff from our guest, Britt uh, Cummings and He's at the OG Million. Great stuff about the OG Million. And Luke, we're going to get to talk about it next week. We're going to get to talk about the results of the OG Million. We've made our predictions. That's going to be really cool. So looking forward to that. That wraps this one up. Thank you for watching. If you uh, stayed with us, and we had a nice crowd in here watching this evening. And uh, if you're just listening on Friday, we appreciate that as well. If you did both, that's even more gooder. If you would like to comment on something that we talked about or something that you thought we should talk about or something that we might have missed, uh, there's a place to do that. It's right here where you're watching this on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can uh, put it out there for the public to see or you can send us a private message and producer Mark will snag that right up and let us know what you had to say. And um, Luke, I didn't see you go into the pad a whole lot because this show is so busy. So I don't know if you got shouts, but. If you do, I bet they're going to be great. I said all that I want to say, Jed. We're, we're, yeah, yeah. we're almost two hours in. Shouts to yeah. the, the live feed listeners. Like, this was our, our biggest live feed, I guess, predictable given the subject matter. But like, I see it like 40 of you have held on from damn near two hours. Shouts to you, the true hashtag loyal listeners, or in this case, loyal watchers. Yes, absolutely. Shouts to all of you. I just got a text from Kyle Rumley that said Cody Graham's not going to the million. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's not going to win the million. I would <laughs> like to change my pick to someone from the area. I'm going Jesse Bobo. Okay. Jesse Bobo, I like it. Your million dollar OG million 2023. Congratulations, Jesse. We'd love to. Uh, when you said, when you said mid South, I just assumed you were going buddy for real. That's where I thought you, know, you were. I- I almost did go buddy for real, but I feel like it's going to be a marathon and buddy's probably going to miss it and go 11 in <laughs> round number five. And it's, it's going to cost him. <laughs> well said. Guys, Luke and I are active. 
on the X. You can tweet at us if you would like. We'd love to hear from you anytime and all the time. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. I'm wishing my Padna some great success. You're racing Thursday and Friday? That's the plan. Depending on things, I haven't felt the greatest. Hopefully I get to feeling a little better. See how the vibe is. See if they're on schedule. But yeah, I'm thinking roll in Wednesday night, race Thursday and race the big show. And, I'm, and okay. if they give awards for pretty wheelies, I'm in the running. I'm going to do wheelies. That's my only oh. my only prediction. I I won't claim to be as good as I think I am, but I do good wheelies. <laughs> well, I'm sure you and the Vega are going to put on a show and uh, hopefully turn on lots of electricity. We're wishing you well, Jess, as, as well, if he's going to be competing. So good luck to you guys. Folks, we appreciate you watching. Appreciate you listening. Thank you for sticking with us. Hour and 50 minute show. It was all good all the time. Be awesome when we talk about the OG. We can't wait to talk to you again real soon about more. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100-plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.